We have always existed, and we are still here. Telling the stories of those slung dead, we won't disappear. We're taking the pen back into our own hands. We live and we breathe and we keep creating, taking a stand. History is queerer than you. Welcome to the Making Queer History podcast, where we connect our queer history to our queer present. I'm Laura. And I'm Will. And today we're going to be talking about Frida Belinfante. This is one I'm so excited about. Frida's really cool. Frida Belinfante is is incredible. She's actually definitely one of my historical heroes. I, I admire her so much, and I think that really shows in the article. I tried to be unbiased, but I, I really just do love her. And, and you, you can partly tell because I did a two-parter. Yeah, that's always how it is. Like, you'll come to me and be like, hmm, I really like this person. I have so much information about them. I might do a two-parter. Uh, my most recent article turned out to be a three-parter. My first three-parter. And it was so much research and so much love went into that. I, I'm really proud of it. I'm really proud of all the work that I did there and all the research and all the love that went into it. I couldn't imagine making it shorter. You know, if that makes any sense. I definitely wasn't stretching it out, I don't feel. I was worried that I would because I, I finished my research and I was like, ooh, this feels like it's going to be a really long one. What if it ends up three parts? And I actually joked with the dean about it. I'm like, it might be my first three-parter. I, I reached about... I think that the 3000 mark and I was like, this has to be a three parter because I ended up writing 5000 words about this woman and I can not imagine cutting out almost any part. Her story, and it's very interesting because, you know, her story really divided into three parts in, in this very natural way as well. There were like three eras almost of her life and Will can attest I got really emotionally invested in that one. Um, I cried at least three times. At least three times. So one per more. Yeah, one per article. So it it was really it was really a difficult one for me, but it was I, I feel really good that having written it. I think it's it's going to be in my my sort of short list for the articles I'm most proud of, along with Beautiful Frida. Frida is I used to have a quote from her up on my wall on one of those little slide in letter things. We had to get to take it down because it got sun damaged. But I, I I still think about that quote and I still think about her and ugh, I just, I just have so much, I feel so connected to that woman. And I think one of the interesting things is that often the articles that you mm -hmm. write, that turn the longest is obviously the one you have more sources for. 100%. And specifically with Frida and some of the other several partners you've done have been that you have personal mm -hmm. resources and you have 100%. personal diaries or in Frida's case, you have an entire eight hour long interview, interview which I listen to. You know, I, well, actually I read, I think that there was a transcript of it. So I was like, okay, I can read this much faster than I can listen to it. Uh, and I listened to parts of it, but I mostly just read the transcript. But but you're definitely right. I, I think um, the, the ones that I'm thinking of right now are definitely Frida, and then the newest Frida, uh, Emmeline Frida, and then Catherine Mansfield. With Frida Belenfante, I found that eight hour interview with... Catherine Mansfield, I found a biography about her, which included a lot of diary entries. And with Emmeline Frida, I found her entire autobiography, which was fantastic. It was a great find. I was so happy with that. I, I want to specifically state that New Zealand does such a good job as a country of making this history accessible and accurate, I find. Like, the two of those people on that list are, are from New Zealand and their lives are so clearly recorded 
in in very obviously government-sponsored ways, which I just find deeply interesting because I've never seen that done before. I've never seen it done so well. You know, I think I think I think there's actually a lot we could learn from the, the way that New Zealand does that. I'm not sure what I would even call it. It's just a really accessible history. Isn't Emmeline Frieda uh, Australian? Yes, Emmeline Frieda is actually Australian, yeah. but she's a really well-loved figure in New Zealand. So <laughs> she's recorded in New Zealand history, even though she she was Australian. Which is wonderful. And I think it's like this publicization mm-hmm. of, of the history and mm-hmm. making it public. 100%. I know that a lot of countries have similar things. Like Norway has a national library mm-hmm. and you can access almost all the texts in the National Library online. 100%. But the only limitation is, I believe, because of copyright, you have to be in Norway or have a VPN that sets you in Norway to be able to do it. See, that's what I find so interesting. It had no requirements Which to let really, me have access to it. really incredible. Because a lot of the ones that I find from the United States or, or from Norway or from uh, just basically countries that I research where, like, the person is a figure in history, if I find government resources, they're almost always either behind a paywall or behind a VPN kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Where, like, you have to have a, a United States library card or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it's not a paywall. Sometimes it's just, you know, you need a library card. But I have never seen a government put so much work into giving free information out. And, and, and I think I that's love incredible. That. I, I love think that's that. absolutely incredible. I would really... Love to see more of that in my research because it makes my research so much easier and so much more enjoyable as well. Because I really get to learn and dig into these people and sort of find these amazing resources. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I I would actually definitely encourage you to check the sources. Well, we, we've changed it from sources to further reading because it, it doesn't really fit. Like the word sources isn't quite what it is. It, it's much more, you know, what else to read? And you should check the further reading sections of those articles in specific because, and you should check the website. If you're from New Zealand, we have actually a lot of listeners from New Zealand. A lot of people have contacted me being like, I'm from New Zealand. It's great. If you're from New Zealand, I would really encourage you to find those articles and and find that resource. And if you haven't used it, I would definitely use it. It's incredible. I found it so useful. And you know, if if you're from New Zealand, please explain to me what policies these are because I want to enact them in Canada. I want to be encouraging them in Canada because it's it's incredible. I've never seen that before. It was really well done. And that's just a total random rant. I'm sorry. It's it's just you know here it's the behind the scenes research thing. Usually only patrons get access to it, but. Everyone, I'm being magnanimous. Everyone's getting access. I would really like a world where all knowledge was public and easily available. Wouldn't that be fucking neat? It would be very neat. I'm, I'm in, in the soon reachable goals. I'm at least hoping that we're gonna have a more standardized form of public domain. Because mm-hmm. I think, I think there's a lot of resources out there trying to make a sort of collection of public domain things, and I think that's a resource that people are really looking out for. But I think it's still being monetized in a lot of ways, and that's unfortunate because you know if it's monetized, there's all these sort of negative things that slip in there you know like requiring a vpn all these different things anyways i think that at at some point we are going to have a discussion about what public domain means and what copyright in general means in a world that has the internet in it Mm -hmm. because right now we're trying to maintain the laws that already existed of copyright instead of reacting to the internet and and seeing it from an entirely new moral point of view because i think it shifts everything 
well, that we know about copyright, but I just haven't seen those laws shift like maybe they should have. I, I 100% agree with you, and I don't know too much about copyright and how it exists, but I feel like the laws that we're currently following in terms of yeah. copyright are very dated for one the written media yeah. and two made for a time where there wasn't as much media 100 and it was sort of easier to keep track of media because mm-hmm. one of the biggest problems or no maybe not one of the biggest but a big problem these days is that you can't really trace ideas like you've had all these <laughs> lawsuits around specifically around fan fiction yeah and how a- tropes are and exist and i don't know too much about the details but it's very interesting because the the longer like the, the the more span of time in which we have created words, <laughs> the more complex these situations are going to be because you can never really create something truly new, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's very interesting, and I think that especially in the time of the internet, there's a removal of gatekeepers. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, there's also an addition of people who call themselves gatekeepers but aren't. They were like, we didn't even have a gate there. What are you talking about? Yeah, one hundred percent. But anyways, that's just a queer community hot take. Um, but <laughs> they deem themselves the gatekeepers. The gatekeeper. <laughs> and we're like, we didn't want to be kept by you. Please <laughs> let leave us, us go. alone. <laughs> um. Anyways, and, and you know, let the other people into the gate, please. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're begging. But uh, more more traditionally, I'm speaking of the the gatekeepers of culture. Because, you know, if you wanted a book printed, you'd have to have a publishing. Mm-hmm. And to have a publishing, you'd have to have all these different things. Like, you could individually, but, like, the access to wider distribution of your work is so quick right now. It's, mm-hmm. it's so... It can be given to almost anyone, which is a fantastic thing. We're seeing such incredible innovations from that and such incredible pieces of work from that. That being said, it really is going to, I think, at some point force us to sit down and say, what is copyright's place in our society? Mm -hmm. Because I think the place that stands now is not sustainable. Anyways, that's like uh, my my beginner rant. I'm so sorry, y'all. We always got to start the episode with a rant. We all we we do we and do that should be a, a clear section. And then we Random can move into the news. Yeah, um, for news, let, let's talk about it. Okay, so this podcast, for all of you new listeners, this podcast comes out a month early for patrons, so the news is going to be more new for them, less new for the rest of you. But it's still information that maybe if you don't follow us on all social medias, you wouldn't have, or maybe if you just don't check social media constantly, you might have missed. So, the news. Calendar. Calendar. The calendar's out and it's for sale. It's going to be for sale until the middle of January, I believe. Um, and so even if you hear this episode in January, it'll still be up for purchase. It'll still be up for purchase. I'm going to, I'm going to let it go on past, I think at least I'm going to let it go up to the 20th, I think. And then I'll decide if I want to take it down or not. Mm-hmm. It really just depends on how many purchases are happening at that point. Cause mm-hmm. if like a whole bunch of people are still purchasing, I'll leave it up. But it, if it sort of started to dwindle, I'll put it away. But I love our, I love our calendar every year. It's fantastic. It's so much fun to work with Dean on it. Um, but if you don't know what it is, if you're new to the project or just haven't been here for a full year or, or missed it, basically we put out a, a calendar every year marking the dates of like important dates to us in queer history, specifically the dates of the birth and death of all the people we've written about. So I know, I think I think I got the idea from the short story I read, not to, you know, go way back, but the short story I read about queer people and I think it was just mentioned they're like on Sappho's birthday we do this and like they're like we eat honey cakes and covered in lavender or something and I'm like that's delightful one problem we don't know Sappho's birthday 
Sorry to fact check that out of you. I feel real bad for that one. But, um, you know, I got, got really interested in that. Like, what would you do to celebrate different people in queer histories, like birthdays? Like, would that be celebrated? And would that be celebrated as an anniversary? So I just included everyone. If there's a story that touches you, it will definitely, definitely be in there. We also included this year of the new edition is dates every country that is legalized uh, same-sex marriage up to this point the date that they legalized it for a little fun celebration. If you live from that country or if you don't live in that country, you can just like know and be like little reminders that things have and will change. Mm -hmm. And thinking of that, we got some stats. I got some stats emailed to me recently from our podcast host, like the, the, the host of our podcast, like website wise, uh, not me, but apparently we're super popular in Russia. That's delightful. We've always been weirdly popular in Russia. I'm so happy to hear from y'all. Um, if you're from Russia, hello. I'm sorry if we're not speaking a language that's super accessible. But I'm, I'm so happy you're here and I'm so happy to be here. And I'm so happy to have people in our audience who maybe would not have access to some of these stories otherwise. Because I know certain laws around Russia are very interesting. So, you know, anyways, we'll, we'll, we'll not dive too deep into that until we dive into that, because I'll have to do more research to dive into that. But I'm really happy to have you here. And yeah, I love you. Thank you for tuning in. We love Russia. And to to all of our listeners, mm-hmm. um, if you ever have any questions, if you ever have something you want us to talk about, if you ever have anything you want to say to us at all, feel free to email us. We mm-hmm. love when you reach out to us. We love hearing your stories, your reactions, your questions, your criticism. Mm-hmm. So feel free to email us at queerhistorypatreon at gmail.com. You got it. Thank you. And you can also find that on our website, www.makingqueerhistory.com. You can find all our links to our social medias and all the ways you can contact us. And all of our articles. Yes, and all of them too. So yeah, it's all very exciting. You can also find the calendar there. If you were like, I want the calendar, it's going to be on our website. You'll find it really easily. Mm -hmm. The calendar's um, not going to be in our shop, by the way. It's, it's not, not going to be on our shop because Redbubble is the the site we use for our shop because it's it's just the easiest, to be honest. But it, it just does not, it's not compatible with what we wanted to do with the calendar. Also, the calendar just like looks fantastic. It looks opinion. so good. There's more news. Uh, we have the book club, which is starting up in January. We've talked about the book club a little bit before. By the time this comes out, Patreon will just be about to release a full description of what the book club is going to be, what it's going to look like, how we're going to do it is going to be in the future for patrons. If you didn't know, um, every Saturday for the rest of the year, we are going to be releasing new things for Patreons that are like sort of changes. Some of them are changes. Some of them are decisions we want to make. Because at the end of every year, me and Dean sort of have a talk being like, what do we want to change? What do we want to keep? And we want to put some of those questions forward to our amazing patrons. And they're choosing a lot of directions right now. And they're also um, getting a lot of the, the things we have already decided on. Like the book club, which I'm super excited for, super excited to do with y'all. Uh, I have all the books picked out. 
I'm really proud of how it's set up as well. Like we did a whole bunch of things. We work, we're working with a whole bunch of different services that I'm really happy with. And I'm really happy with how it's shaping up. So I'm really excited to have y'all as a part of this book club. Keep your eyes open for the announcement. Exactly. become a patron if you want to be part of the book club. And if you cannot become a patron, just you'll see it on social media eventually. I will post the post. So everyone sort of is on the same page about what's happening and sort of... I'm trying to be as transparent as possible, especially because with the book club, there is going to be some sort of, there are going to be affiliate links that we're using. Not with Amazon, don't worry. We're going to be using affiliate links. So don't worry, every post where we use affiliate links, we'll disclose that. But just, just, we'll have a full description of why we chose to use affiliate links for certain things and why we didn't for others. And yeah, how we're going to be using all of these different things, if that makes sense. And otherwise, we're just excited to read books with you. Yeah, we're. So, I'm so excited. There's so many books that I'm so excited to hear all of your takes on and hear people call out my favorite books or or what they think or, you know, point out things that maybe I didn't notice and just talk about it because it's, it's so much fun to talk about books. I'm actually going to be starting a reread of the first book for this year very soon because I'm very excited. I'm not, I'm not telling them what the first book is. You don't know what it is. Well, you should pay more attention to me. No, it's not actually kept anywhere that we would have access to. Um, Dean and me are the only people who have access to it and patrons will get it very soon. Yeah, I think that's most of the news. There's gonna be a whole bunch of things coming up for patrons. So if you want to keep up with the news for this project regularly, do check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash queer history. There'll be some things that you can access, some things that you can't. It depends on if you're a patron or not. Either way, I'm just... Our patrons have been really great lately. They've been really sweet. And I'm just really excited to share all these things with them and just start having community discussions properly. So yeah, I think that's, that's it. all the news. Let's talk about Frida Belenfante. Frida Belenfante. I'm so excited. Um, Will, do you want to start because you have the dates? I keep all the dates. I make all the notes. So proud. Frida Belenfante was born on May 10th in 1904 in Amsterdam, the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. And she was born into a musical family. Her father was uh, a pianist and a music teacher and apparently a really good one. He was the first in the Amsterdam concert, Gebouwen. Not sure. I, I'm not sure what I wrote and I'm not sure how to pronounce it. <laughs> uh, but he was the first one to present the entire cycle of Beethoven's piano sonatas in a single session, which I know nothing about this, but it feels impressive. It feels impressive. It reminds me of that the time that uh, the London Museum of Arts or something did a whole reading of the, not the Odyssey. The Iliad. The Iliad. It sounds intense. That's caused, I fell asleep in the middle of it. I'm not going to pretend I didn't. I fell asleep. Anyways, continue. But yeah, impressive. I don't know how you'd Very impressive. Very impressive. Uh, so Frida followed in her dad's footsteps. She started playing the cello mm-hmm. at age 10. And after seven years of practicing, she made her professional debut uh, with her father accompanying her on the piano. So Unfortunately, sweet. her father died of cancer a couple of months after that, which left her family without much of their financial support. And sort of left them to try and fend for themselves. Mm -hmm. So Frida moved further into a musical career. She studied in Paris. And she also directed a bunch of chamber ensembles. So she found herself a steady income in that -hmm. that way. And she also learned things about herself. She found out that she had a... 
I think she she called it a fondness for women. Yeah, she was a big old gay. Yeah. Big old gay. So she started a relationship with a woman called Henrietta Boseman. And I don't know too much about it. But while she was in this relationship with Henrietta, she happened upon a man who got... Obsessed. Obsessed with her. And forced her to marry him. At gunpoint to himself. Yeah. I I hate this man. I hate this man. And, And, you know, right after they got married... The marriage basically fell apart because... He stopped caring about her. Yeah. And then he they divorced and he went on to have a long line of other failed marriages. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, he would actually continue to sort of be a friend to, to Frida. It's always such a strange thing to look at, you know, what people were forced to put up with at the time. Um, but he was still a friend to, to Frida for the rest of her life. He really supported her, her musical career. It's just... Oh, that man... Yeah, yeah, horrible. But he, you know, he did horrible. Horrible. I hate it. And she was straight up with him. She was like, I'm not interested in men, my dude. And he was like, I don't care. I want you. And I don't care if you want me. I want you. And, and then was, he was like, I, if you don't marry me. And she's like, hey, I guess I guess I got to marry you then. Mm-hmm. And, and then she did. The marriage ended. Of course. Because, you, you know, how was it, uh, it going to work otherwise? You don't do that. You don't start a good relationship off with a hostage negotiation. Right? I'm sorry. I'm going to go ahead and say that controversial standpoint. You can't start a good relationship off with a hostage scenario. Mm-hmm. That's no. not how good marriages are made. Horrible. <laughs> but yeah, after that, um, Frida Kett, living in Amsterdam, yeah. um, doing directing and, and playing her cello, and then World War II happened. Yeah, and, and if we haven't mentioned before now, Frida was Jewish mm-hmm. as well. You know, her family was Jewish. Mm-hmm. And she did, in fact, stay in Amsterdam, and she found out that she had a talent for foraging documents. I love this woman. I love this woman. And, you know, as soon as she found out that she had a talent for foraging documents, she put that to use. Yeah, so she joined a CKC resistance group. I don't you know. might actually recognize the name because it had other queer members, including Wilhelm and... Arondeus. Arondeus. Willem Arondeus. Which is a name you might recognize if you are a queer history nerd like me. I've seen his face, or I've seen his name around multiple times. He, he, well, if you know his name, you know the ending of the story. I guess we'll continue on. So yeah, she was uh, making papers for Jewish people to escape. And she Mm -hmm. was also um, the one who came up with the idea that in order to forge believable papers, you had to destroy the originals. Which um, made sense. Yeah. So she was the idea that led to the destruction of the Amsterdam Public Registry on March 27th in 1943. They blew it up. They so did. Proud of them. But unfortunately, her, they were caught. They were caught. The group members were caught. Uh, Frida was not a part of the event the, itself. Yeah, uh, she wasn't a part of the blowing up specifically because they're like, women can't do that. Which is sort of ironic because, you know, Willem, after uh, Willem was caught and he was executed along with the other ones, and one of his, his final sentiments was, I want this to be proof that homosexuals are not cowards. Mm-hmm. That homosexuals are brave men. Mm-hmm. And if if you don't think that I think about that sometimes, and my I don't even know what my heart does. I don't even know what my heart does. It, it it does something. And, you know, she she more or less was able to get away. She was she had to dress as a man for a little while, um, to the point where literally her mother did not recognize her on the street. She'd pass by her mother and her mother would not know who she was. And that sounds honestly emotionally devastating. It must have been. So and she did this for three months, yeah. right? Three months of just constantly being on guard because she knew that the Nazis were were, were tracking her mm-hmm. and so after a while she she ended up deciding that she had to leave because she kept 
putting the people around her in danger. Mm-hmm. And so she, from uh, with help from the resistance, she was smuggled out through Belgium and France, where she met Tony. Tony. Who ah, okay, and here sorry. we gotta pause to give like a quick uh, content warning. I think yes, that's because uh, we we have already talked a little bit about uh, Nazis and destruction. But yeah, so we're gonna talk more about that. So what happened was Tony and Frida hiked to Switzerland together, mm-hmm. and Tony, who was also a Jewish man, had and Frida had been having these conversations surrounding because Tony was he was what people were looking for when they were hunting for Jews visually. What people were hunting for was him. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Fried- that scared him. Yeah. And, and he, he didn't want Frida to get caught up in that. He didn't. And Frida dismissed him and just said, no, we're going to go together and we're going to do this. And there are all these really sweet moments in in, this, in Frida's interview that you can read in our article <laughs> about how they sort of formed this friendship, about how they worked together, about their journey to Switzerland together and how it affected her. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as they get to Switzerland and they get not captured. Caught, no, cap- they get captured That's by true. Swiss authorities. That's true. They get captured by Swiss authorities and then put in jail and interviewed. And Frida Bellinfante did not know that Switzerland had recently refused, said they refused to take men who were not married as refugees. And she admitted that she wasn't married to Tony and they killed him. Well, they sent him back. They killed him. I'm sorry. They killed him. They sent a Jewish man to Nazi. Yes. 100% they killed him. I'm never as furious with the country mm-hmm. as I was learning about this. Mm-hmm. I, I really don't like holding country sort of accountable for, for history. I don't know if that makes sense, but I don't like holding entire countries accountable. But I, I think a part of what infuriated me was how often as a Canadian person, I was taught that the Swiss stepping out, like being like, we're neutral, was the truth. Right? Like as if, as if being neutral was... A possibility. Right? It wasn't a possibility. They were not neutral. That is a complete fabrication. It is not neutral to send a political refugee back to the people who will kill them. That Mm -hmm. is not a neutral position. That is an active step in genocide. You are responsible for your part in genocide if you did that. 100%. It infuriates me that I was taught that this was some admirable thing that they did. Mm -hmm. When in reality... It was them being Nazis. Mm-hmm. They like I, I'm not going to say it in the way they were not neutral. If you send Jewish refugees to Nazis, you're a Nazi. You're down. Mm-hmm. You're in. You're in the club. You have chosen the side of the Nazis. And you know I, it's the quote that everyone says. You know, if you neutrality doesn't exist, neutrality only ever helps the oppressor, never mm-hmm. the oppressed. One hundred percent. And I think that's very true. And it, I, I. I feel so, like, the injustice of how we've taught that history really, really gets to me, I think. Mm-hmm, 100%. And and it's also interesting to note, horrifying to know, mm-hmm. that the only way that Frida also wasn't sent back was because a previous teacher of her mm-hmm. somehow found out that she was being kept, uh, mm-hmm. prisoned and and vouched for her, saying that, oh no, I know this woman, this woman is, is a Dutch citizen, mm-hmm. fine. And, and that was the only way that they were, like, not going to send her back to. And, like, in general, refugee policies in countries are just horrifying. Mm-hmm. The way people treat refugees in different countries is just absolutely abysmal. 100%. And just, like, proof that we countries, almost every country's immigration policy is just immoral. the most morally bankrupt thing you could ever see. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, yeah. And that's that's a hot take that I don't think anyone will actually disagree with. I think that at anyone who even I would talk to people on the right and they would say, yeah, that's morally bankrupt. Mm-hmm. That being said, for different reasons. But anyways, that's this whole thing. Um, I just, oh, this one, I think the story really, really got to me. And it was really important to me when I wrote it that I included those quotes about getting the journey that they took to Switzerland together, the hiking, because I didn't have any more information about Tony. That was what I had. I don't think we even have a last name. I don't think we do either. Um, That's all I had of Tony, and that might be all that's left of Tony, because a group of people decided to send him to his death. Mm-hmm. For I think it's it's again what sort of comes when your politics are based without love. That's what happens when you have politics without love for people. Mm-hmm. This is what happens. It's genocide for one. Um, but it it really I think I, I'm really attached to the idea of of finding all these cracks where people's stories have slipped through and pulling their stories back up and showing them and, and sharing them again. And I think that the powerlessness of not being able to do that really got to me when I was writing that article. It really got to me that I couldn't find Tony's story in the cracks and and bring it to you and show you this man's life and who he was and what his favorite color was and, and what he was before he died and why he died and what allowed him to be in the situation in which he was killed. And it still bothers me. It really does. It, I'm very, you know, I want to tell every story. I want to tell every story, even though I don't think he was queer. I don't know that he was queer, at least. He, I just wish his story was known a little bit more. And I wish I had a more of a story to tell. But that's why it was just so important for me. And it's sort of, I, I reread the article to, to sort of brush up for the podcast. And while I did, you know, I, I come apart this upon this part where I just sort of switched to quotes. And I'm like, oh, this is like a little weird framing. But I, I might smooth it out later, but... <laughs> I'm glad. I don't think I could ever cut it. Mm-hmm. And I think that I just, I, I'm really glad that I did that. And I'm really glad that I could return to this man's story and remember who he was. At least this tiny, tiny little fragment we have of who he was. And yeah, I don't know. It was, it was just one that really, the story in general, Frida Belenfante's story in general, there's a lot of moments that really hit me where it hurts, you know, and hit me where I care. Because just a woman in the middle of being a chalice, in the middle of her career, and then World War II happens, and she changes everything. Mm-hmm. And she starts forging, and she changes her whole life. She she shakes the entire thing up to, to keep other people safe in a way that she should not have had to, beyond the reason that people shouldn't have been in danger. She was a Jewish woman. She should not have been in charge of keeping other Jewish people safe. Like, I, I know that sounds sort of weird, and that's not meant to say that anyone shouldn't be doing that. But it's more saying that I would have 100% understood if she had been entirely selfish. Yeah, and just moved. And just moved. Just left. And ran away. I would, I would understand more than anything. But she didn't, and she stayed, and... It really hits. And then, you know, what happened with Tony? She she felt guilty for the she, rest of her life. Yeah. She, we know for a fact she felt guilty for the rest of her life. And she she talked in, in the interview about it, about how she blames Switzerland, which makes complete sense now. She blames this entire situation, but she also blames herself. Because mm-hmm. she said that she wasn't married to him. Yeah. But she wasn't. And they killed him. And yeah, I just... Whew, it's... 
it's a it's a definite. I think the interview is really worth listening to if you ever have the time, uh, or or reading might be a more accurate way because you might get through it a little faster. But if you if you have the time, I would really encourage you to listen to the interview. I think it's a great one. Oh, I just I just her story means so much to me. I think. Mm-hmm. It's a very intense, intense story. And uh, at this point, uh, Frida reaches uh, the refugee camp of Switzerland. And it was, you know, refugee camp. It was overcrowded. 160 people and Mm -hmm. the the environments weren't great. Mm -hmm. You know, along with everything else that uh, a refugee camp comes with. Poor sanitation, poor (sighs) care given by the government that's supposed to be taking care of these people. There was also the problems that she had with the people around her, mm-hmm. or the problem that the people around her had with her. Yeah. More specifically, because she was giving out free cello lessons. She found uh, an old used cello, mm-hmm. and she was giving out free cello lessons to people to sort of have something to connect. Yeah, connect to and keep them going and have something to, I guess, remind her of normalcy, probably. Yeah. And instead, what she got was gossip. And refusal. And, you know, in the end, uh, people refused to stay in the same room as her because they found out she was a lesbian. Mm-hmm. And this was something she she fought for her entire life because she would be, no matter what she did, n- no matter how unrelated it was to her sexuality, people would bring it back there. And it really bothered her. She's like, it's, it's none of your business. It's my business. And you don't. I'm, I'm not doing it in front of people. Leave it alone. Mm-hmm. And so in the end, she stopped giving cello lessons, mm-hmm. and she sort of just stopped caring about music for a while. Mm-hmm. And once the war was over, she returned back to the Netherlands, but she found that it wasn't what she had hoped it would be. There's a really great great quote from her, I think, that Will wants to read. So when she returned to um, the Netherlands, Netherlands, this is what she had to say about it. We found that people who had been riding the fences, as we call it, they were on top. And the people who had given their lives, no one was talking about it. And it didn't mean anything to anybody. And we had to fish for ourselves. Things didn't change. We thought everything would be better, politically better. And nothing, nothing changed. Which I like. It hurts because it's true. It does. And it makes sense. And she gave up so much of her life to fight with the resistance. And then she lost so many friends. And then she returned to it. And it's just... The people who are riding the fences are the ones in power. Which I think so many of us can recognize. Mm -hmm. How that happens. And so she gave up on the Netherlands. And she moved to the US. Mm -hmm. And she spent two years in New York... And then she moved to California. And we were talking about this earlier because I found it really funny that after that, not funny, ironic, that after that quote, she moved to the U.S. Because the U.S. But at the time, yes. it was a very his- different historical moment. Just, you know, the election just happened for us. And we're like, ah, the people who sit on the fence. Right? Ending up in power. The history has changed. Our world has moved so much beyond that. Oh, yikes. Oof, but at the time, it was a really fast-changing country, and... I think she hoped for a place for herself there. Unfortunately, it happened again. She was put in charge of an orchestra. She uh, actually started her own orchestra. Oh, yeah. Uh, She uh, started conducting a uh, group called Vine Street Players in 1953, which later turned into Orange County Philharmonic 
society mm-hmm. and she it did amazing it got like really turned into this really great orchestra that she built up from the bottom and they would she insisted on giving only free concerts mm-hmm. because she wanted to be accessible for everyone and she insisted that the musicians would would get paid for the concerts through donations or, mm-hmm. or sponsors but that they wouldn't get paid for um uh, like the practicings i don't know what yeah. they're called and she really insisted on this. This was like the one thing she she really cared about was was doing this and making sure that it was accessible for everyone because she wanted the art to be available. Which you can see the roots of that from the very start, right? You mm-hmm. can see the roots of that. You can see she grew up rather poor, but she still had access to art, which mattered so much to her. And she just wanted to share that with other people. All throughout her life, she wanted to share that with other people. And that's that's incredible. It's really beautiful. Unfortunately. There were rumors. Again. And there was homophobia. And there was sexism. Because the people um, that were also part of the society, uh, Philharmonic Society, wanted to make it a bigger, better, brighter mm-hmm. orchestra. And so they were like, well, if we had a man as a conductor, mm-hmm. things would be better. Yeah. And if we stopped giving free concerts... We'd be making more money. And um, It's a fence-sitters. It always is. It really always is. And then there was also the rumors about... Her being a lesbian. Her being a lesbian. And people being really shitty and gross about it. Mm-hmm. That went around. And then her contract was not renewed in 1962. Mm-hmm. Which must have been a heartbreak for her. And mm-hmm. sort of everyone... Like, this thing that she had built up from the bottom just turning its back on her. I, I definitely agree. And it it's one of those one of those ones again that really makes me feel for her and makes me feel for what what she went through. Cause what a horrible thing for people to do to Right her. after she she had tried to create you know the best intentions, right? Mm-hmm. Ugh. Her story really affects me. Mm-hmm. And this isn't the end of it, of course. Yeah. Uh, she got herself a private studio mm-hmm. and she continued giving lessons. She stopped being that much of a public figure and she stopped giving that many concerts. But she was still a cellist. Yeah. She was and an she, artist. Yeah. And she was still living with this thing that she loved, that she had managed to fall in back in love with. Mm-hmm. And she was um, contacted by them by some filmmakers who mm-hmm. were making a movie for a documentary for them, the Nether- uh, the government of the Netherlands mm-hmm. uh, called But I Was a Girl, mm-hmm. which was a film about the queer experiences uh, during Second World War. Mm-hmm. And then she also had the interview uh, with the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum. Mm-hmm. Which again, definitely recommend checking out. You should definitely listen to it, yeah. Yeah. And so she, so she still had these ways of sharing her story, and she still had these ways of creating art. And there's this quote about how she felt after her contract wasn't renewed. It was just too early for me. I should be born again. I could have done more. That's what saddens me. But I am not an unhappy person. I look for the next thing to do. There's always something still to do. And she kept doing things. She did. And then in 1995, 26th of April, she died of cancer in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And I believe she was 90 years old. I just, you know, if you can't tell, I really care about this woman. And, and you know, one of what, the quote that I told you about, the quote that I told you about that I had on, on a little board from her, uh, I want to read it out to you because I think it really sums up her life in a specific way and it also sums up, it sums up, uh, I think, a personal belief I have as well. I think it sums up something that I, I want to aspire to. Anyways, I've always helped people. 
Whether they're worth it or not comes out later. They haven't all been worth my effort, but the effort was worth it. I, I adore that quote. It's really good. And I think it's I think it's really relevant. Always. It's always really relevant. I just, I love that quote. I would definitely encourage you to think about it. it it's definitely a personal philosophy for me. It's, it's something that I've taken on as a personal philosophy. Because I think the effort of kindness is worth it even if the person who you give it to didn't end up deserving it. And it's also, it's not encouraging, you know, to give good things to bad people. It's saying you put the effort in and if the other person isn't worth it, that's not your issue. You just, the effort in itself is something beautiful. And I think that's something you can see thematically throughout her life. Ugh, I admire this woman so much. I really do. You know, one day I'm going to end up with like, I'm, I'm going to end up with a wall full of pictures of, of all these amazing people. That's what I'm going to have to do. It's going to be incredible. Yeah. But I think, I think that's it. It's, that's her story. That's her story. I would definitely encourage you learning more about it if y'all have the time. I think it's just a fantastic story. I think she's a fantastic woman. And I think she's a person that deserves thought. I 100% agree. Yeah, no. The story, her 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 life is very, very touching in all these different ways and very emotional. And I think especially because there's all these quotes and all these personal points of view from her, she there's it's very easy to connect to her. Yeah. And very emotional story. Yeah. And yeah, mm-hmm. I just, I would, I would, I, I love the story. I love the story so much. And I'm, um, I'm glad I got to come back with it. Come back. I'm glad I got to come back to it with you. And I'm glad I could share it as well. It just it's one that I really care about. Anyways, I think we're moving on to our next session. Wrecking um, the queers. Where we recommend things to you and you wreck us. Do we have any wrecks? Have we been wrecked? Not so much. There's been some like little ones. I just like people like suggesting us to do things. But it is no, no full on like complaints. We've okay. had some very sweet people mostly. Um, we had someone recommend us as a global resource for like queer queerness, which is great. Bless. We love that. We love when people do that. Um, some of my favorite people uh, who follow us on social media have commented recently, which I also love. I'm not going to say who my favorite people are because I don't want anyone to get their feelings hurt. <laughs> well, it's just that like I notice when people t- interact with us a lot, and I'm like nice i'm always really happy to see that and they they slowly become set in my brain as some of you know the community anyways um so we've had to interact with them a lot i feel like there's not a lot for me to say right now uh i've been answering questions a lot more recently than i usually do just because i think taking space on social media has been really helpful and i'm sort of sort of able to come back to to social media after a year of of being a little bit more distant i'm glad and um fun news we got to 20,000 followers on our Tumblr, which is fantastic. Nice. Pretty sweet. That is pretty sweet. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. Oof. Anyways, it I is can... time for Will to recommend something. I can recommend either a TV show mm-hmm. or an Instagram account. Hmm. I'm, I'm making the decision for y'all. Y'all don't know how to say in this. <laughs> TV show. TV show. Okay. It's a Netflix show. It's called Kipo and the Age of Wonder Beasts. I, I'm really enjoying it. I'm on... The third season now, mm-hmm. I think? I think there are three seasons. You're on a season. I'm on a season. Um, but and if you're you... I'm really enjoying it. Like, it's all about the power of friendship. Which we love. We love in this house. But in, like, very everyday ways, more or less. Mm-hmm. You know, the main character, Kipo, always chooses to giving people to give people the benefit of the doubt. 
Which I think is incredible. That's an incredible thing. Right? And it's really beautiful. And it's also about music. It deals a lot with music, but also science. Mm -hmm. And it's just a really fun show. You have uh, two queer characters. One of them is is a main character and one of them is more of a side character. But they both have really, really good arcs. And they have really good friendships and relationships with the people around them. Mm -hmm. And almost all of the characters are people of color. Fantastic. Which is absolutely incredible. Yeah, so... Uh, check out Kipo and The Age of Wonder Beasts on Netflix if you can. Or Yeah, it's a really fun show. Okay, awesome. And it's been getting me through a lot of depressive episodes. <laughs> fun times, I'm glad. I'm glad. Um, I'm, I think that's it for today. Yeah. Uh, remember to follow us on social media. We have an Instagram, a Twitter, a Tumblr, a Facebook, and a Pinterest. You can find all the links to all of our social media on our website, www.makingqueerhistory.com. You can also email us at queerhistorypatreon at gmail.com. Also, you can choose to support us and become a part of our Patreon and become a part of the the book club that's about to start and become a part of the community that's there um, at patreon.com slash queer history. And I think we can close out now. That's I am it. so glad to have shared this story with you. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Thank you for all the care that you give us, the support that you offer. And I really appreciate you. Yeah. And remember to, for Frida, put a little bit more effort into people. And remember, history is queerer than you think. We have always existed, and we are still here. Telling the stories of those slung dead, we won't disappear. We're taking the pen back into our own hands. We live and we breathe and we keep creating, taking a stand. History is queerer than you think. Yes, we will improve Making
Step we